Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. How are we today, Elias? Oh, I am. Gosh, I'm just, I'm awesome. I don't know how I could be any better, to be honest with you. You've got to have a lot more energy now that uh, your coaching, or your uh, umpiring season's over, refereeing season. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, that's, I know everyone thinks it's easy to be an official because you hear the way people talk, but it's a lot more mentally taxing than what what everyone would probably expect. But yeah, I mean, football season's over, so now the only thing I have going on out, you know, is work. I don't have any winter hobbies, so I got work and my family now to last me until springtime when I can golf again. Well, you'll be focused then. You uh, before we started the show though, you mentioned that you had a unique question or something that somebody asked you and you wanted to talk about on the show today. Yep. So this was, this was a question. So someone approached me about a question. We were at a holiday party this weekend. And so someone asked, Hey, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. What are your thoughts on crypto? And I said, well, can you be more specific? Like, like what exact, like thoughts, like as in what? Well, as buying it as an investment. Okay, well, tell me about what you're, so that now I'm asking some questions. Well, tell me about what you're doing. Well, I know someone who, who's buying it. Um, anyway, so the gist of it was, what do I think about that? Do I think it's an investment? This person's like my age, so 33 years old. So in general, so I thought, well, if someone's asking, other people are probably thinking about it. So in general, um, just want to kind of address my thoughts, hear a little bit of your take on it. And this is what I shared with them that I do think cryptocurrency probably will have some place in the future in society. It already does. I think any adoption of blockchain will probably benefit Bitcoin because it's the most popular and it was the first one. Um, and then I let them know about a couple that I think are probably, if you're going to look at as an investment. And then I asked, well, are you looking to trade this? Or actually I asked, when are you planning on selling it? Well, I'm not, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna buy it and hold on to it. And then I said, well, are you buying systematically or how are you deciding when to buy? Well, no, I haven't committed to just buying systematically. So I was like, well, if you really think it's a good long-term investment, I would just start buying. My thought would be, you gotta start buying on a systematic game plan. Don't worry about the price if you're not gonna sell it. Um, so then I, I'll have, there's a second part of that question, but I want to hear your take on that, on so, that first part. Interestingly enough, um, I got a phone call from someone in my fantasy football league who asked the same question. What do you think about crypto? More specifically, what do you think about Shibu Inu? And I said, I just told him, I said, that's speculation. I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I think you made a good point in that it's some, there will probably be a place for cryptocurrency. I don't know where. And it probably will look completely different when it hits a maturity stage than it does today. And here's why. If you think about the internet, who was the number one largest internet provider when the internet came out? Everybody had one of these. Was it AOL? AOL. That was it? If you have an AOL email account today, people laugh at you. And I only know this because we were in Chicago shopping at H&M and my wife was in there and they said, what's your email? And she still has an AOL email and the guy's like, you're, you're not serious, right? <laughs> but point is, you made a you comment about Bitcoin being the first and the largest. Well, maybe, so is AOL. They're irrelevant in the 
internet space today. So it's going to change. Second thing you mentioned, systematic purchases. Um, I think any good investment strategy, whether it's a mutual fund, real estate, whatever it could be, could benefit from systematic purchases. Number one, you're buying it all the time. It's a forced savings plan. Too many people get emotional about investing. Start to buy this stuff when it's exciting. When it's boring, they don't want it, right? When it's down 35%, they don't wanna buy it. Well, a systematic plan on any type of investment makes you do it. The only issue with the cryptocurrency space, because I've looked into systematically investing them for myself. Um, I'm not recommending anybody else does. I just wanted to see what the fees were. The amount that people would typically systematically invest could be a very large pr proportion of the systematic investment. So any systematic investment you do, because typically they're smaller amounts, you need to know what the fees are. So let's say you're systematically investing $50 into anything. Well, if there's a transaction fee of $5 every time you put 50 in, that's 10%. a 10% fee. So that investment now is a 10% hurdle just to get back to even. So be cautious of the fees that are charged of systematic investing uh, because sometimes just the transaction fees for small amounts, it just doesn't make sense. I'll have a minimum transaction fee. So that's my thoughts on I, I I'm not gonna recommend crypto to anybody. I'm not going to tell you shouldn't do it. I look at it purely as speculation at this point because there's not true utility. You know, it doesn't create a dividend, doesn't really do anything um, in society. Like, I don't understand what it's really doing. Yeah. But it's speculation. So if you treat that, and we've talked about this many times, if you want to invest in cryptocurrency or some off-the-wall obscure investment, I'm not saying cryptocurrencies off-the-wall are obscure. I'm just saying if you want to invest in that, it needs to be a small percentage of your portfolio, one, one, two, three percent, and treat it as speculation, right? If you're out betting on the Hawkeyes every weekend, that's speculation. It's speculation too. <laughs> yeah, so right. buying cryptocurrency is no different. Right. Um, so that, that's my take on the whole cryptocurrency arena, and it's been really volatile re recently, right? I mean, Bitcoin yes. ran up. It ran down, not all the way down to where it was, but it's come back to earth. Some of the other cryptocurrencies ran up and they've come back to earth a little bit. Um, I don't know where it'll go. If I did, it'd be a really, really easy question for me to answer to people. And I want to circle back to the a word you just used and with crypto utility. So that was, and I didn't get in, that, that was too much in the weeds for a social setting. But the next part of that question, I think kind of where the the person I was talking to where they were going with their real questions. So then he go, so I asked, okay, so just let me ask you this. Are you putting so much money in crypto that if you lost it all, your family would be negatively impacted? He goes, well, no. And I said, so in the big picture, if you think about your entire life, you're not really doing anything that's going to cause any harm anyway. And he's like, okay, so, so you're saying I could lose all my money by doing it. And then he said, well, I could also lose all my money by buying stocks, which, which is true, but I did remind him, and this is where the conversation about utility comes up. All I said though, in this setting was the difference when you buy a stock though, you are buying a real company. So you, yes, if you, if you only buy one, like if you just put all your money into one stock of one company, there's, you could lose all your money. But for just in general, I want people to understand if you're buying a diversified portfolio, like for okay, the risk of of the financial markets going to zero, to me, that is not as risky as the crypto markets 
going to zero. And when you're buying a cryptocurrency, I just understand you're buying something with no utility other than people agree that it has value. If you go buy a mutual fund that is being professionally managed and owns stocks of 100 different companies, it could be 30 different companies, 100 different companies, 500 different companies. Well, those are real companies that exist, produce something for society, have revenue and income. So I, I feel like there's kind of, there's a little bit of a misconception about risk and speculation in the conversation. And I didn't, I wanted to save some of the more in the weeds for the podcast. Cause you know, we're, it was a holiday party. No one wants to hear me talk about well, utility and stuff like that. Easy, easy, easy way to explain it. Do you think if you bought an S and P 500 index fund, not saying it's right or wrong for somebody, but if you did, it's popular investment. Do you think the 500 largest companies are all going out of business? That'd be the only way you'd lose all your money. I there, don't think so. There's been, well, I mean, the world would be upside down if that happened. I mean, it could. The yes. chances of that are very, very unlikely. And there have been cryptocurrencies that have went to zero in the last year. If you bought the wrong ones, um, didn't Mark Cuban have one that came out that went to zero? Yeah. Someone yeah. lost launched one that went to zero. So th they can go to zero. It goes back to you should invest in what you know well. And my... For instance, I had another client call and ask about Dogecoin. And he doesn't know anything about crypto. He goes, should I be investing in this Dogecoin? Send me an email, actually. I called him back. I go, how do you pronounce it? He goes, doggy coin. I said, no, you don't know anything about it. You can't, you can't pronounce it. it. You can't buy it. <laughs> um, but it was kind of a funny way. But then he started laughing. He goes, yeah, I guess you're right. If I don't even know how to pronounce the coin, the last thing I should do is think about buying this thing. <laughs> Um, but it actually, one thing you, um, talked about was utility and we have an article called money secrets from millionaires. And should you actually take their advice was on MS MSN and I'm going to skip to number two, but it says invest where you spend. When I purchase individual stocks for myself, I usually tend to buy stuff that I use. Like there's certain things that I use every day. My wife uses every day. I buy those because they provide utility that I find unique. It doesn't mean that I'm buying them because I think they're gonna be winning investments. I just feel better that if I'm going to your establishment every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, I feel like I'm paying myself in a way because I'm a shareholder. You want to be one of the owners. I want to be one of the owners. Remember yeah. the do you remember the TikTok video? I think about that guy all the time. You know I'm a I'm the money. I'm an owner, whatever he said. Molly Put in the TikTok video in this. Can I help you, sir? I'm just making sure the theaters are running smoothly. Do you work here? Let's just say I'm a partial owner. I'm the money. Don't you come in every Saturday night with your mom? Not anymore. You keep up the good work. One more thing. Drop the M. What? It's cleaner. But that is one of the greatest explanations, but that's how I feel about it. Well, tell me if you own Bitcoin, how are you utilizing it? I mean, I don't know where you can shop with it. I don't know what you can buy with it. It's just really hard to find utility for it. So yeah, you one can of the trade things, with it. You can buy it and hold it or you can trade with it. So that's one of the, with it. one of the money. So, so we're going through these money secrets for millionaires, but one is buy what you own. Cause here's why buy, buy what you use or utilize. And here's why. The market is inherently volatile. It's going to go up and down. 
If you're utilizing every day, you have confidence in that company. Otherwise, you wouldn't be going there. If you're utilizing a company every day or their app or whatever it is, you're going to have confidence that it's not going anywhere. It's going to help you get through the bad times because you still feel good about it. But if you go buy XYZ pharmaceutical company that you don't know anything about, it goes down 40%. Well, you don't know anything about it. How are you able to make a judgment of whether you should buy, hold, or sell at that point where if a store I'm going to every day goes down 20%, I can say, well, I actually think the shopping experience is better or they've rearranged their aisles so that they can get me through more things. Like I'll use target. I don't, I don't own target, but my wife goes every day, every day. We're at target for some reason. Have you been in target? You maybe don't go to target. No, they rearrange the store. So basically you got to walk through the whole store to find anything you need. And they're always rearranging the store. Well, that's on purpose because we're creatures of habit. If we're going to get the specific milk and cookie and ice cream every time, we're just going to go directly to that. But if they shuffle it around a little bit, I have to walk by a few more end caps and pretty soon, guess what happens? Impulse buy. There's a cart full of stuff. Rack them up. Yep. In fact, I saw a friend of mine posted on Facebook the other day. Um, and I don't shop at Aldi's, but the inside aisle at Aldi's apparently has all kinds of like unique stuff because you can go to Aldi shopping for bread and walk out with a fire pit. If you go down the inside aisle, and I didn't know <laughs> okay. this, but I think, about you know, it. yeah, that they is, put it there. So you exist. have to go yeah. through there. Mm -hmm. um, but that's why invest in pl places you spend. If you're going to buy individual stocks, that's my advice to people. You have a better feel for how they how they work, or maybe it's your industry you work in. You might know something about the industry that the average person doesn't. You have a better understanding, which will make you a better investor. You know, throwing darts or reading a quick article and says you should buy this. That's not investing. There's no research. That's just gambling. So I think this is actually a really good point that you should invest where you spend. If you're going to buy individual stocks, if not, you should be buying, you know, index funds or actively managed funds that have shown a propensity to outperform the market over 10 and 15 years. Yeah. Well, in the next, I mean, the next one here, or actually you skipped number two, but number one was focus on, focus on what you do best. And this is what, these are 12 tips from secrets from millionaires. So that kind of ties into both of those. Well, if you're using, if you're using a company, you know what the experience is like. So you might be able to have a have a better opinion or know more about that and whether you should own it or not. Um, but it, it also ties into what we were talking about. So focus on what you do best. Well, like this example where someone's asking me about cryptocurrency and really I th from the conversation, kind of their motivation for wanting to buy it was someone they know has been successful doing it. And I would imagine that person has spent some time learning about it and researching and knows how to do it. And, you know, maybe if it's something you start to start to learn about, and this could go with anything. If something you start to learn about, you don't feel confident in it, um, maybe you should just walk away and focus on what you do best, whether that's your career, you know, the the skills you bring to your job that are valuable that you could make more money at. Um, Think about this. If Let's say you own a car dealership. You're yeah. a car dealership owner. What do you know better than anybody else? Cars. Cars. You know the market. I mean, if you're a dealer, you have a feel for the market. You know if you own a 
Chevy, Jeep, Chrysler, Dodge store, let's say, you know how Ford's performing, you know what your competition is, and you just probably have this gut feeling. And sometimes your gut feeling is good, right? You have this just feeling of how the market's trending because you're working in it every day. You know it better than everybody else. Or maybe you're in um, technology. You're in the technology world. You probably know what technology companies you see trending or what apps are easier to use or what app creators easier to use or whatever the little widget could be that you feel superior to the others. That may be where you would go focused on investing because it's kind of where you have an edge. If you think about investing, if you're buying individual stocks, the only reason you're doing it, or really there's two reasons. One, you think it's going to outperform the market. It's going to outperform an index. Otherwise you just buy an index or two, you just want to own it because of the utility. You like how it works because if you don't think it's going to outperform an index or an active manager, why would you buy the stock then? has way more risk in an individual stock than yeah, the, the complete market. So I, I really like focus on what you do best. And I think that's a really good, um, you know, point we pointed out about, Hey, if you work in an, an area or you are passionate about something or you're in the fishing industry and you know how those things work better than everybody else, well, then you know what companies you should be owning. Three on this list is get yourself financially fit. And, if you think about going into the end of the year, we're all going to have something to do here on January 1st. That's set that? the new year's resolution. See, and, I, I don't do those. And I, well, yeah, because most of them are done in nine days. So I'm laughing about that. Cause you know, I know <laughs> what my new year's resolution is and I'm not sure I accomplish it or not. Um, but you know, there's the nine day, the nine day resolution. Most people is going to be lose some weight and they make that resolution right after Thanksgiving and Christmas. I, I actually did good on my resolution. My main resolution for the year was to become more, uh, more handy and more technical, more, <laughs> I don't know what the word is better at technology was one of my focuses. And all year I'd like when normally when I run into a hurdle and I'm like, I don't know how that works. Or I don't know what button to click. And I would just give up. I just kept forging on i gotta figure it out just keep putting. and i'm I, I can honestly say i am better at technology now than i was 12 months ago well yeah so another big thing people are going to do is they're going to say i want to get financially fit and that's really one of the top money secrets so a couple of things we can do to become financially fit and what do i mean by financially fit if you think about um being unfit typically those people are overweight or carry extra fat so the first thing you can do is cut the fat, right? We can reduce our spending and we're not proponents of a, like we spend 2% on this item, right? We have a lifestyle budget, but you got to create some type of budget and get a handle on where your dollars are going. And I think this is good for everybody. So a good example of this, my debit card got hacked three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So I had to shut everything down. Well, all of a sudden I'm getting all these alerts. Oh, your payment for Viddler didn't go through, which is like a bass fishing university I signed up for, fourteen ninety nine a month. You know when the last time I got on this thing was? Like three years ago. After, yeah, the, that's when whatever. you're when you're in your free month trial and yeah, four hundred and fifty dollars. And you're right. So all these things that I'm not paying attention to because that's the that's why people sell subscriptions, because they're three dollars or eight dollars or nine dollars or fourteen dollars a month. And it's really just more hassle than it's worth. Or Dollar Shave Club. I've been a member of Dollar Shave Club for since it started, I think. I mean, 
literally early adopter because I didn't like to go buy razors. I have an entire drawer at my house of razors because they send you a four pack every month. Well, I typically don't go through four a month. So the next thing I got eight and I probably have 150 razors and it's like four bucks a month. I don't even know what it is, but I stopped my membership because my debit card got hacked. So one of the first things you need to do is figure out where all your money is going because it can either go where you want it to or everybody else wants it to. And typically it, I don't know what the, we should get the statistic. How much money do people spend on monthly subscriptions that they don't use or don't know they have. It's a large, large amount of money. That's the first thing we can do is figure out what we're spending. The second thing is figure out how to tone up your credit score. People overlook what their credit score provides them. And I know people out there argue, well, you don't have to, you know, really have a credit score if you pay cash for everything. Well, that's not today's world. I mean, arguably I've always used cash for a debit card. I haven't used my debit card in three weeks. I'm not going to. Because my credit card got stolen over the summer. The credit card company just gave my money back like that. I'm still fighting to get the money back from the bank. They're not making it as easy. In fact, they said, well, you could call the vendors and tell them it wasn't you. No, no. How about you guys do that? I'm sure I'm going to get it back. But the point is, it's not easy. The credit card is really easy. They just say we're not paying. Yeah. And actually, I was already me. I was already kind of trending to using a credit card more. And then after your experience this summer and your experience this fall, I'm exclusively spending on credit card now. Now the I'm, chal- not carrying, I'm not carrying a bill. I'm spending all the same money of stuff, transactions I used to run a debit card on. But, you know, and I get like, if you can't be responsible with a credit card, then you probably shouldn't have one. But I'm an adult. Yeah. I know how to manage my bills. Like I can, I can have a credit card. I'm, that's me. I agree <laughs> with you. The problem is most people will, you know, they'll mess this up. Right. That's fine. That's not going to stop me. But from you have to them. know how you can handle your money. And then really the third thing you can do is, you know, you can really set up a strong investing plan. Those are three of the top things you can do. Reduce your spending, tune up your credit score. And why do you tune up your credit score? Well, when you go to buy a house, the interest rate you get is dependent upon the credit score you have. If you need to borrow money for something, it's dependent upon your credit score. If you got garbage credit, you get a garbage interest rate. Right. House, car, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to find. And then lastly is set up a strong investing plan. What I mean by that, and you hit on this earlier, Elias, systematic, that's where it's at. And most systematic savings plans that you're going to do in, you know, a brokerage account or retirement account or through an investment type person or direct with the company, the fees too aren't prohibitive. Cryptocurrency systematic, if you go on one of the exchanges and try to do a systematic, the fees are almost prohibitive. They're not prohibitive. If you're working with someone, you're going direct to a company. Um, So those are really the three ways I think you can get financially fit and really help yourself going into 2022, especially if your goal is going to be, hey, I want to be better financially. You don't start January 1st. That's like going to the Super Bowl, but not having a pregame. You got a couple of weeks here to pregame say, hey, what am I going to do going into 2022 to make myself better? Yeah. And with all these little tips and steps and stuff, I, I agree with all of them. I actually, and this is my personal opinion, I think the biggest hurdle to investing and being financially fit is one, getting started and then doing an amount that's going to be meaningful. 
And I had another conversation with another younger person this week, um, this weekend. And, you know, they were someone who they got 22 years old, got their first job, started saving 10% of their income. And him and I were talking about how if you start early, if you start young enough, and the key is you get started, don't get a paralysis by analysis and think you need to buy the hottest stock, find good mutual funds, good ETFs and start buying them. And just in 10 years, what you can do for yourself is, is, um, is really incredible. So I always think the biggest hurdle is, is getting started. And once you get started, then don't do like, don't try to take on the world. If you start with 10% of your income, you know, don't try to take on the world the next year and do 25% of your income up it to 12%. And then the next year to 14 or 15, like start with something that's going to be meaningful over the long term, and then just chip away at higher amounts. And, you know, if you buy good investments, you understand what they are, you get started, you do a meaningful amount of money, it's going to work out. So this is one of the greatest quotes. And this is, if everybody takes away just this one thing, and it's going to lead into the next kind of tip. It's a quote by Albert Einstein, arguably, you know, one of the smartest people who's ever lived. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Albert Einstein said that? He who understands it, earns it, and he who doesn't pays it. Think about that. If you invest early and you start using compound interest, it's going to pay you. The latter, he who doesn't pays it, who pays compound interest? Who pays it? Yeah. The debtor. If you're yes. in debt and you're not paying your credit cards and you're buying a bunch of stuff on credit that you can't afford and you have a 12 or a 14 or 18% interest rate, you're paying the compound interest versus receiving it. <laughs> yeah. And that's so think high, about that. That's a high hurdle. Yeah. So it's just a great quote. and People don't think about it. Money secret number four is invest your raises. And uh, this is one of the fastest ways to start to max out a 401k, hit your savings and retirement goals. And here's how it works. Let's say you're doing your company match today and you're putting 6% in and they're matching six, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Going into next year, a lot of people are gonna get raises at work, right? Typically you get a raise once a year. Mm -hmm. um, if you get a 3% raise, there's really three things you can do with it. You can spend it all, you can save it all, or you can do a little bit of both. What do most people do? Spend. Spend it all. Spend, spend, Here's what spend. I implore people to do. If you get a 3% raise, take 1% or 2%, add it to your systematic savings plan at work, take the other 1% and give yourself a raise. If you slowly over time do this every year, think of every year you get a 3% raise, how many years is it going to take you to beat a 15% savings rate? If you, if you start at 3%. If you, if you start at zero, you start at 0%, and every year you get a 3% raise, and you take 2% each year and add it to your systematic savings plan, oh. increase it each year by two, how many years? Seven and a half years. Okay. So the eighth year you'll be doing it. What's the average graduate get? What's the average age of a graduate coming out of college? 22 years old, probably. Okay. 21 or 22. I would venture to guess if somebody went on that path, by age 30, they're putting 15% of their 401k. If they keep doing it by age 37, they're doing 30%. So that means if they're making, let's say 60,000 a year, by the time they're 37, 38, they're maxing out a 401k. 
they're going to put themselves in a great position, great position to hit retirement. And this is one of the very best ways to get going because I have a client, he's a friend. He goes, how much should I put into retirement? 15%. You're playing catch up. You got to do 15 now. I can't do that. What do I do? I said, how much can you do? Well, I can do eight. Start there. Start there. When you get your raise next year, whatever the raise percentage is, you don't get a raise. Your retirement gets a raise. You're going to click the button, start jacking it all into your retirement. Well, guess what? He's at like 15, 16% now. He asked me this three years ago. He's there. And he probably doesn't feel like he's missing out on that much, you know, because that's some, sometimes people are like, well, I had to sacrifice too much. But if you do it like that, you probably, like, I don't personally, I don't ever feel like I'm missing out on the life I want to have. We still, we go out to eat, we do fun stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like I'm, yeah, I'm sacrificing some money today, but it's not like I'm sacrificing everything. You don't know what you're missing if you don't know what you're missing. I mean, if you don't well, that know, too, but right, if you, if I'm never going to be someone who just sits around and doesn't do anything, I guess. If you've never point. done it, how do you know what you're missing? So it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. You know, great. You're not flying a private jet. Well, you've never flown a private jet. So who cares? You don't know what you're not missing. Is it relevant? <laughs> no. Um, uh, number five on the list, make your money work from you for you. That's really goes back to that Albert Einstein quote. And you know, you can either earn interest, or you can pay interest. So, you know, eliminate all the bad debt you have, um, get debt free if you can, and then start having your money work for you. Maybe it's, you want to make an investment. Well, when you analyze an investment, I always ask people what, what classifies something as an investment. And this is what I use for my personal thinking. When I analyze an investment, does it pay me dividends, interest, or capital gains? If it doesn't pay one of those three things, I don't deem that to be an investment. So let's talk about what's not an investment. Your personal residence is not an investment. It doesn't pay you dividends. It doesn't pay you capital gains. It doesn't pay you interest. It can't appreciate in value. But it's only, but it only that's capital gain, but it only becomes an investment if you sell it and you take the profit. And buy a same value home. Otherwise, it never right. becomes an investment. And we, yeah, and we know that's not the reality. It never happens. Someone buys a right. $300,000 house. They sell it for five hundred. dollars Well, we buy a $500,000 house. We bought a five hundred. dollars We sell it for seven. dollars We buy a $700,000 house. It may become an investment for somebody if they were to sell their house at retirement for, let's say, $750,000 and downsize to something for three seventy five. dollars Otherwise, your home is not an investment. A boat is not an investment. A car is not an investment. So let's talk about what are investments. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, all the normal things. But there's other things that people don't think of as investments. Maybe it's a farm. Farm pays in income. That's dividends or interest. Has capital gains. If you enjoy punting or whatever it is, or you want to have a getaway for your family, that could be in ter- viewed as an alternative investment. Has some utility as well as income or it's a vacation place or whatever it is, focus on things that are going to build net worth. Especially if you're going to be 40 and you haven't built net worth, built net worth, it's time to think about and just ask yourself when you're going to buy something, does this increase or decrease my net worth in the next 20 years? And that's a really easy decision to start living off of. Well, this $4,000 bike I'm going to buy, is this going to increase or decrease my net worth over the next 20 years. Now remember, there's an opportunity cost to it. If you buy a bike, 
or moped or whatever. I don't scooter, whatever. I'm just using that as an example. If you buy this for four thousand, that's four thousand you could have done something different with. So people start to in the name of the show is behind the wealth. It's about helping people build wealth. Ask yourself that question. When I buy this item, is my money gonna go go to work for me or is it gonna go to work for somebody else? Yeah, we and we so we already touched on this, but uh so number six was invest early. And I mean that's pretty self-explanatory, right? We talked about it a little bit. Um, best time to start was probably yesterday. So if you haven't started, get started. We've got a chart. I'll have Molly put it up in the video. It actually shows the difference between the ages and people people started investing. I know when I started in the business, the first thing they showed you, because when you start, you're like 22 years old, start in the investment business and you're working 22 year olds. So that's what you're trying to impress upon those people is, hey, you think you have time. It's going to go fast. Now, I don't know about you, but every year that goes by, I feel like the years just keep getting faster and faster and faster. I remember in high school, I'm like, man, when is a year going to be over? Now it's like, where did the last 20 go? Yeah. Um, that's And then especially you start a family and then you're like, wow, you know, you go from no kids. So all of a sudden you got a kid in kindergarten or first grade and you're just thinking like I like the other day, I actually forgot how old I was. It's like time's going so fast. It was my 33rd birthday, but I'm actually, well, I thought I was 32, but I'm actually 33. Once you but hit time's 40, just going too fast. You stop counting after 40. Just is what it is. I'm just 40 forever now. 40. <laughs> Seven, understand your investments. We hit on this earlier. If you don't understand what you're investing at some level, shouldn't probably probably be doing it, especially if you're doing this yourself. If you have an investment professional, they, they obviously have a high level of understanding. I don't expect someone to understand the intricacies of every single investment, but they should have a broad understanding or be able to pronounce the name of the investment that they own. And if they can't, they should invest in it. Number eight, teach your children to be money smart. We've talked about this a lot on the show and the lack of education with children and money. And it's something that needs to be better, but it does start at home. The problem is most people at home, they're not great with money either. And that's why they're listening to shows like this to become better. And we try to educate people on what they can do to become better, but you should educate your kids too. Um, I, I met uh, my wife and I, we were recently in Scottsdale seeing some clients and we met up with one of my wife's friends and they have, I think their son was 12 or 13. We met him to watch the Hawkeye at a Hawkeye restaurant bar because the Hawkeyes were playing against Michigan and brought a couple friends with them. Like the son had brought two friends and the dad goes, Hey, here's the deal. Buy their dinner. Cause they didn't, you know, their parents didn't send them with enough money, but they, they give him a debit or credit card with, like a few hundred dollars or a hundred dollars, like whatever it is. And they just reload this credit card. But I thought that was good because they're trying to teach him how money works and responsibility with it. You know, and they came back, he's like, well, he maxed out the credit card. It was like a couple hundred bucks. They're going to Dave and Buster's. But point is he has to go manage this money and look at it. And they're making him do the transactions. They're making him do all the right things with money that most people don't think about. What do most people do? And this is probably what I would do. Hey, we're going to Dave and Buster's and you whip out a couple hundred bucks and you hand it over. <laughs> yes. Instead, hey, how much is on your credit card? How much do you have left? Use that. And I thought that was really neat because I hadn't seen that happen a lot. And I think that's good advice for people. Try to teach your kids how to be good with money. You can set them on the right path right out of high school versus the wrong path. And we talked about this on the student loan show. 
these kids graduate high school, you say, sign the dotted line right here. And the next thing they know, they're $100,000 in debt. And kids, I maybe your kids, because our kids are all, all about the same age. Yours and mine are close in age. And how they catch on to, because I know I've never like really said, hey, this is a dollar. This is what you can do with it. But even my, my two and a half year old son, he'll like find a quarter on the ground. Dad, I found some monies. So I don't know how, I guess even when you're young, you understand at some level you need money to have food and to just have all the stuff you have, right? I mean, I guess I don't really remember how all that happens, but. And I don't know the right age to start. I've tried to talk with my daughter. She understands it a little bit. Like we were at the grocery store and she wanted a $30 toy. I'm like, we're not buying a $30 toy at the grocery store. We came to buy food, find a $5 toy. Like here's the basket of so $5 You're too toys. nice. I would have said no. Well, we're leaving. They don't go to the grocery <laughs> store with me often. So I, oh. just, they each get like, they have a little tchotchke or a little poppet or something, whatever. We, we do a little toy, but it's never, we don't do food. We don't do like, we don't get sugary treats. We're not getting all the garbage food. We opt for the little toy instead of the stuff that's going to make them hyper in the afternoon. No, no candy. No candy. No candy. Huh? Um, nine diversification is king. That goes without saving. Being fully diversified. That goes without saying or goes without saving? Saying. I mean, you should be diversified. I mean, the only people who've got, if you think about concentration of wealth, the wealthiest people in the world have zero diversification. Elon Musk doesn't have any yeah. diversification. Yeah, there's great rewards with not being diversified, but more people suffer negatively by not being diversified than do by being diversified. And what I mean by that is what are the odds that you're going to go pick the one company that does better than all the rest? It's not likely mm -hmm. if you could, you wouldn't, you know, you probably not listen to this show. Um, but being <laughs> fully diversified is really, really important for most people uh, to be successful in investing. And it's not just diversifying through stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. It could be, you know, am I diversified between U.S. and international? Am I diversified between active and passively traded investments? There's a lot of different things that go into diversification. There's tax diversification. It's why we recommend people seek out a planner and try to do this. I was on my LinkedIn feed this morning, and I didn't even tell you I was going to talk about this, but um, Dr. Crosby, um, who is well-known in our industry about behavioral finance. He had a chart and it had two lines. It was the satisfaction of people without an advisor and people with an advisor. And the line just went straight up with people with an advisor, just their happiness level. Like in general, they were less worried about things. They were happier. And I thought about them like they're happier because they've taken this giant part of their life and just delegated to someone else to worry about. And yeah, and that person's probably doing a very good job for them and they yep. trust them and they're... They were just happier. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't even like they were doing better. It was just they were happier that they didn't have to worry about it. Well, that's, I mean, that's really, that's one of the biggest values. One of the biggest parts of our value proposition, in my opinion, is just taking the, taking that and people delegate that part of their life to us. So then they can just be, have less worries. Number 10, and then we're not going to cover them all. We're only going to cover the 10, but number 10, I never really thought about this one. Mary Smart. So when you, when so, you read that, did you have to sit there and think, huh, did I do that? That's no, what, that's not what I thought. I'm, I'm like, just kidding. I'm trying to think what they meant. I'm like, do they mean marry money? You know, like marry know. for the money? Yeah, and that's yeah, not yeah. what they mean. Right. What they actually mean, if you read this, is you need to 
number one, marry who you love and you're compatible with. But two, if you guys don't share the same values with money, I don't know what the divorce rates, what, like 50%? Yeah, that's I want to know what the divorce rate is because of money. That's the number one, is my understanding. It's the number one contributing Reason? factor. Yeah. Because people, if you don't share the same views on money, how hard is that? If you have one person who just wants to save and one person who just wants to spend. It's never going to work. Every single week, you're going to fight. You're going to have to ha find some common ground. Or the other one that is really concerning to me is just financial infidelity going into the marriage. Not telling the person you're marrying if you're carrying a bunch of debt, how much it is, because some people have worked really hard to be out of debt. And then you say, Oh yeah, we're married now. And I have 120,000 student loans. How do you feel? See, that's to me, that idea is shocking because I guess this is probably part of being an advisor and stuff, but I want to, I would, I just want to marry someone without knowing their financial picture and understanding going into it, how that part's going to work. Here's it's your, always easy for me and my wife. We, like as soon as we decided we were getting married, we got a joint checking account and it like our money is our money. Most of it's her money now, but you know, I'm good with that. So. Elias, here's the problem. People are embarrassed that they have the debt. So they just don't want to talk about it. Do you want to admit to the person you love that you've never told, right? You've been dating for three years and you're carrying $30,000 in credit card debt and hundred thousand dollars in student loans. You're already embarrassed and you're probably scared of what they're going to say. Cause what you just said right there was, well, I just wouldn't marry that person. What if you've been in a relationship three years? Now I come to tell you, and this is the problem. I come to tell you this and you're like, well, now we can't get married. So yeah, I, that, that's not really be, a mature yeah. way to handle it, but you have to be upfront and honest with people because otherwise the repercussions afterwards, there's going to be more anger because the honesty wasn't before we got married. My guess is if you're in love with someone and you want to get married and they said, hey, I have $100,000 of student loan debt and you've been dating three years, you're not going to say, ha, adios, I'm into the sunset. You're going to put a plan together to deal with it ahead of time mm -hmm. because it affects where you buy a house. It affects all those different things of life. People aren't up, you know, you don't go on a date and everybody tells you what their financial their finances are. I mean, they don't bring a spreadsheet to the yeah, first date. You don't date. get married after your first date though. Yeah. That's why I'm saying like, you're not bringing a spreadsheet out there. So for some people, they're just not comfortable. They already feel bad about it. They're like, man, I made a mistake. They don't know how to get out of it. The last thing they wouldn't do is confide in someone that could potentially leave them if they knew about it. So, but you need to be honest. I know when we got married, my wife and I, our church required that we went to, we had to go to like marriage counseling there, which wasn't, you know, it was like five or six meetings. But one of the things was you had to do like a financial disclosure. Like, what do you have? And I dated my wife. So we, we already knew, you know, we'd been living together for a couple of years. So we knew what it was, but it's really important to have an open communication before you get married to make sure you guys are on the same game plan. You know, if you, especially in a more traditional like marriage setting where people don't live together before they get married, you got to figure out and who's paying the bills? How are we doing this? How, I mean, and most people have an understanding of how their significant others treating money. But don't try to force it if it doesn't work. So with that said, I hope everybody has a great holiday. We're getting close. I told I think as of filming, there's 12 days until Christmas. I told my my daughter this morning that there's 12 days until Christmas. She got really excited. The uh, the elf brought a letter and said, hey, 12 days until Christmas and she was really excited about it. So with that said, do you have any closing remarks, Elias? Um, 
No, everyone, thanks for listening and have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.